You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into Fireside Chats. This is episode six, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. This series of shows, Fireside Chats, that is, is one of my favorites because I get to talk with all types of experts that go beyond just the Philadelphia Eagles, and I get to look at things in a broader sense. And on this series, I've talked with quarterback experts like Mark Schofield, trendsetters in analytics like Frank Frigo of Edge Analytics, former NFL players like our very own Trey Thomas, and much, much more. So if you enjoy this episode, go seek out those other conversations because I promise you that they are worth your time. On today's episode, this is focused on the NFL London experience. And to fully capture what that experience is like, I had to go with a friend of mine from across the pond, Liam Jenkins of Philly Sports Network. I had a great time talking with Liam, and I know you'll enjoy it too. So let's kick it over to that right now. And I am here with Liam Jenkins from Philly Sports Network. Liam, how you doing, brother? I'm a bit tired, but I'm hanging in there. How about yourself? I'm doing quite well after the Eagles win against the Jacksonville Jaguars in Wembley. Uh, Liam, can you let our gentle listeners know a little bit about yourself, how you got into, number one, the, the sport of football, but also specifically the Philadelphia Eagles, seeing as you are, as they say, across the pond. Yeah, so essentially when I was 14 years old, like I'd been begging for an Xbox for years and years and years. And, you know, I wanted to play Call of Duty with my friends. That was a big thing. And one year I was surprised with one, but the only game it came with was Madden. So that was like the compromise I had to make, right? <laughs> I get an Xbox, I'm not allowed to shoot people just yet. So I was given Madden, I think it was 08, as my first ever football game. So I was like, right, well, it's better than nothing. I have to try and roll with it. So I randomly selected a team. It happened to be the Eagles. And the love of the game just kind of snowballed from there. So at <laughs> school, I was always that kid that was kind of picked on and thrown in bins a lot. So I was like, well, instead of doing that for fun, I'm going <laughs> to sit in the library and watch NFL top 10 videos and highlights. And I really got sunken into it. And then from there, I, I guess I always had a passion for journalism. Like I had a broadcasting background as well. So I went on and made my own website because I thought, well, I can't just cover the Eagles in America because that just won't go down well at the age of 19. So I made my own website. Everything snowballed a little bit. And here we are today. So let the listeners know where they can find all of your work and what you're doing there for uh, Philadelphia Sports Network or Philly Sports Network. Excuse me. Oh, I'll let you off one time. <laughs> so it's uh, <laughs> at Liam Jenkins 21 on Twitter or at 
Philadelphia SN for Philly Sports Network. It's essentially a website that covers all of Philadelphia's major sports teams. I myself cover the Eagles mainly while dipping into other things, but it's really just trying to be something a bit different, something a bit fresh, and bring a, a totally different perspective on Philadelphia sports. So instead of looking like a tabloidy site, instead of giving off that overly depth vibe, it looks very clean, it looks fresh, it's easy to access, but then you've still got... Um, I guess it's not clickbait, but it gets you the depth that you want. So you're not being baited into anything, but you're getting what you want out of it. It's like having the juice without the skin around the fruit. Like we take all the rest of the stuff that doesn't matter away and give you what you want. And I think it's been a formula that's really starting to pay off now. Yeah, and being a film nerd like I am, I'm loving your your breakdowns, your videos, all that stuff. Liam, let me let me ask you: Did I see you get tweeted out by the official Philadelphia Eagles account? And what was what was the story behind that? Yeah, that was a roller coaster week and a half <laughs> so i found out uh, it must be two weeks now that i didn't get press passes to the nfl london game so i was obviously a little bit upset because being in england that was my first real chance to not only see the eagles but hopefully cover them as well and you know before that i had a big document with all these ideas on that i've been building for years and but because it's not run by the eagles the nfl select them and they want the biggest exposure for their brand it, it makes sense so I, I put a video out just being transparent with everyone because i'm not one of those guys where i just share my success like i want to be on a journey with people that read my work and make them feel part of that and uh, a couple of days later graham foley who's a, a really great upcoming writer he covers the temple owls and also is an intern with the eagles um, said he wants to do a story on myself and Philly Sports Network because obviously the Eagles are coming to London so I can see where that sort of narrative fits and we had a 45 minute discussion just about I guess biggest challenges on a day-to-day -day life um, living on a five-hour time difference how watching football is a pain in the ass over here because of that time difference <laughs> um, and then I guess the success of the site so far like biggest moments and what the plans are moving forward so a really humbling experience because I didn't think 14-year-old Liam would ever believe that he'd one day be featured on the Eagles website. So that was definitely a, a top five moment of the year. Probably top one moment of my life, I'd say. We'll go that far. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. I was thrilled when I saw that. I was like, look, look at Liam, Aww. man, getting a little pumped. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, as a fan of, as a fan of your work, that that's incredible to see. Before, before we get into this game with the, uh, the Eagles and the Jaguars and the experience of it all, be, being a fan over there, uh, you spoke of the or you alluded to the time difference. How yeah. does that impact you, especially since you you work on it too? Like, yeah, what time at night does a game end? When are you done working? What does it do to like your internal body clock? To be honest with you, I don't have a body clock at this point. Um, <laughs> it's just so far destroyed. Um, so it depends what game. Most games typically start at six p.m. English times. Those will be your one p.m. games for, for Eastern. The prime time can start anywhere between 9pm, which will be the next two, like the middle ones, I call them. And then you've got the Sunday night football, which is the big 1am or Monday night football or Thursday night. So basically, you've got a one in four chance of being absolutely ruined in terms of body clock. So if you've got a 1am game, I'm normally up until about, let's say, five, half five. You're hoping for a really quick fourth quarter where it's a blowout and a team's running the ball. But that never happens with Doug Peterson anymore. So uh, <laughs> you end up finishing about maybe f half five in the morning by the time you've done the report it's around 6 30 and then i work a second job so i'm normally up by about seven o'clock for a nine hour shift so it's, it's a constant grind but it's one i love goodness that's crazy i, res I respect the i respect the grind <laughs> i am very familiar with with having a couple jobs trying to do this at the same time and you know having a i had a baby at the time too or yeah. i still have a baby obviously he's still alive everyone my baby is fine <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one come looking for him uh liam 
as we talk about this Eagles Jaguars game, the first thing that I wanted to touch on was all the the preamble, all the the lead up to the game and how that experience was for you. So how how far away are you from Wembley Stadium from where you live and what did that trip making it there entail for you? Well, I live in a, a tiny little place called Devon, which is around five hours away. So I still had to travel, you know, nearly as far as some of the, the Philly fans fighting over here for. So by the time I got there, I got I arrived around 2.30 in the afternoon on Friday. And I'm not even kidding. It took me around seven minutes to find a pair of Eagles fans. Like just at a random, so there's like loads of tube stations throughout London. The one I got on just to, you know, get to my hotel room. The minute I set foot in the station, a pair of Eagles fans. And I was like, okay, that is that a coincidence or is this just going to be a theme or, or what? And as we all know, Eagles fans then decided to promptly take over London, make it their own and share brotherly love with everyone. So I reckon between... Maybe Friday and Sunday, I saw about four or five Jags fans until the actual walk to Wembley Stadium, and that's where they all kind of come out of their caves a little bit. But Eagles fans took over London like I have never seen. I mean, and I was here for the World Cup, so I was singing It's Coming Home all summer long, ruining my voice box. I have not seen like a fan base out in force like that before. That's incredible. If you were to be able to put like a ratio on it, just of the, the folks that you were seeing around, what would the ratio be from Eagles fans to Jaguars oh fans? Oh my God, about... 500 to 1? I'm not even joking. Oh, wow. It was ridiculous. I, I saw about four Jags fans the entire time. That was it. It was ridiculous. <laughs> That's crazy. So what about like when you got into the stadium, what, what would you say is the ratio at that point? It's a little more difficult to tell because um, well, but essentially it was someone that I, I got to know and he played something called NFL Bingo where he tried to see every st- every jersey in the stadium and he got all 32. So it became a oh, little wow. bit more of a neutral fan thing. I felt like there were three different sections. You had the diehard Eagles fans who were losing their mind over literally anything. You had the Jags fans who were qu- literally the Jags fans were silent all game until the whole Duval thing appeared on the screen. And then they had two seconds and then went back quiet again. And then you've got the neutral fans who seemed to be on every third down anyway. So it was a really weird environment. But the most consistent fan base throughout was the Eagles. Even if it wasn't visible in terms of color, you could hear it. So what, what about be- before the game, the partying in London? Did you get oh, a God. chance to do that? Or, 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 <laughs> tell, no. tell us about that and oh. uh, the crazy Eagles fans you got to interact with and drink with. Well, the thing is, I wanted this weekend, because I wasn't going as press, I thought I'm still going to do work, I'm still going to be well behaved, but I want to meet as many Eagles fans as possible. Because let's be honest, like if it wasn't for those guys who either love me or hate me or rip my stuff or say I should eat tea and crumpets, that I wouldn't be in that situation anyway. So I just wanted to go like socialise, hear their stories, see how many people have made the trip, where they're from, how long they've been a fan. And I'm not even kidding, the first night I barely paid for a drink and it was the most weird experience of my life because there are a few people that knew who I was and it's like I don't see myself as in the public eye I'm just this weird Apple employee that runs a website as like Batman and works hard to just I guess do something different so to know that people one care but two recognize me and three try to offer to buy me drinks where I'm British, I don't like accepting gifts. Like Christmas is a nightmare because they get angry at people for buying me things. So <laughs> to have like people trying to like buy me whiskeys, and I, I got very drunk the first night to the point I ordered a takeaway and didn't go downstairs to pick it up and forgot about it. So I just like was on Skype to my friends saying the door's going, and they're like, "You should probably go and get that." And I'm like, "Nah, it might not be for me. Don't worry." And then I wasted fifteen pound on a pizza I didn't eat. So that was that was good. <laughs> Were you pretty hungover for? 
from the night before the game or were you were you okay coming into it were you in good spirits no friday night was the worst i was trolleyed friday night i mean they really <laughs> showed me how to party i think i mean there was an eagles bar so it was called the admiralty and i'm not sure if they rented it out or that was a paid takeover but jeffrey lurie was there for a point they had brent Selleck and john Dorenboss in there oh, wow. And it, I'm not even kidding. It took about an hour to get in at one point. And it was just Eagles fans. It was Eagles chants every 20 seconds. It was There were guys on tables singing it. There was a guy in a Tom Brady jersey that got booed out of the pub. It was the most amazing experience. It was packed from door to the back of the room of just Eagles fans buying each other drinks, getting drunk, singing about the birds. So that was the worst night. Then the second night I went back there because the first night was too good. And I tried to be a little bit more tame and just look after myself because I knew there was a game coming tomorrow. But it didn't stop Eagles fans from again being out until the early hours of the morning. And then game day... I was I was fully I was too pumped up on adrenaline. Like even if I was a bit hungover, I couldn't yeah. feel it. Um, there was a cafe on the way called Wenzel's, so I had to stop in there get a sausage roll and a coffee, mm. and then made my way down to Wembley. And I think there was just this euphoric vibe almost that there was something special happening. And even fans from you know different cultures or different jerseys were just so amped up. It, um, normally British fans are really introverted at everything. Like we don't talk to one another. We just kind of mind read body language and stay out of each other's way. But you could talk to anyone about anything and you would hear the most bizarre stories make and I made so many new friends that we're now on Facebook and talking and stuff. So just a very it was a culture driven event for sure. So the question I have to ask is either while you were partying at night or at the game were any Eagles fans from America acting disorderly to the point where they either got kicked out of the bar or kicked out of the game? Uh, I'm going to position it to you. What do you think the answer would be? I mean, look, I've been to the NFL draft <laughs> in Philadelphia where no one got arrested. I've been to uh, several Philadelphia Eagles games, including games down here in Tampa Bay recently this year. And the only people that got kicked out of that game in our section were Bucks fans. I'm going to uh, ride that wave and I'm going to say no. How wrong no. am I? No, you're right. They were the most well-behaved little flowers you could ever imagine. They were very <laughs> polite. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, there was one time where outside the bar afterwards, a guy came out, and I was just talking to him about the Eagles, and he started giving it the lip of about being British, and he made some really weird comments about, uh, it was something to do with British and ancestry or something, and I was like, look, I'm not going to vouch for that. If you want to talk about cover two shells or zonal run schemes, then hit me up. And he asked yeah. a question, and I slammed him shut, and then his mate went like, oh! And then some woman came over, and then the guy promptly walked off. So that was kind of cool. But other than that, they were so nice, so polite. Um, like, they didn't even barge. I didn't get barged out of the way once, and I'm a lanky guy. I go flying. They were, honestly, it, it surprised me. I was expect. I didn't know what to expect, because you hear all these stories online about the aggression and they're being passionate and maybe it's a little bit horrible and quite nasty and underdoggy. And then you get there and everyone is so nice and you end up in big groups. And I went on my own. I didn't have friends at this event. I turned up to London on my own and I felt like part of a family. And that was the most surreal feeling possible. See, Philadelphia Eagles fans, ambassadors, even when they're in, a tire, in an entirely different country. That's amazing. That That is yeah, good to hear. they weren't shy. They weren't shy. <laughs> They never are. Uh, Liam, the, the game itself, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, the The way it started was a very, very slow start for the Philadelphia Eagles offense. The first two drives end in turnovers. Then the next three out of four drives, they get scores on those. 
Uh, what are your what are your feelings about how this team is playing right now? Because it's very inconsistent. The difference being in this game, they were able to finish where in some spots this year they haven't been able to. You could definitely sense in the second half of this game there was like an amplified foot on the throat. Like instead of just taking off or readjusting, the only call I didn't like was that weird pass on third and fourteen. The screen, oh, even from the stands, mm. like even like people who weren't Eagles fans were going. What's that? In more British sweary terms. But <laughs> it was just, it was strange. I think the one thing that I've noticed, and I get a lot of flack for this, but the ball security from Carson Wentz this year is a bit sporadic. And it's whenever he's yeah. taking a hit or he's going to the ground, it's like he tries to pitch it off or throw it out the way or force something to happen. And I don't know if it's because he's trying to do too much with the ball or if it is something because he hasn't taken a live hit really until a few weeks ago after the injury in week 14. Maybe mm. it's just readjusting. I'm not sure what you're noticing on film, like as I'm trying to dive into, but it just feels like at times he went tries to do a bit too much with the ball. And this was the first time since coming back that it's come back to haunt him. And obviously the Jazz pick up the turnover, the fumble, and they drive down. Eagles defense do their thing, but it was a scary moment. And you look at that and you think that's not the way you want to start a game in what technically could be a road game if that Jags offense get right. rolling and some of those neutral fans start cheering for Bortles. And then you get into the second half and the Eagles just kind of roll. They're able to get a big drive and kind of put the game away in, in a sense. But then the Jaguars come right back, 75-yard drive, get it within one score. What did you feel about the Eagles' performance in the second half where they were finally able to to slam the door on the Jacksonville Jaguars? It was a statement game. It was an absolute statement yeah. game. And whether people want to look at this Jags team and say they're falling apart or use the excuse that Bortles was nearly benched or was benched a week ago, I should say, for Cody Kessler, or the cluster injuries at corner. The fact is that this is a defense coming into the game that was giving up 179 yards per game against the pass. That was the best in the league. They had one of the best run defenses in the league. And the Eagles still put up over 100 rushing yards. They balanced the offense nearly 50-50. And they rode Josh Adams. They kept the hot hand in. They spread the ball around to nine different uh, receivers, if we're not going to count Carson Wentz alley-ooping it to himself. And in comparison to Carolina, where we had 22 targets to Ertz and Jeffrey combined, where the rest of the team had 16 combined, that was a massive difference. You could see there was an emphasis on this game to get back to the Eagles of 2017, where it was selfless, they're moving the ball around. And I think Jordan Matthews was a perfect example of what happens when all of those cogs come together. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think about this team's prospects? Do you think that was a turning point game for them? Or was it just a necessary game to get to the more important game with the Dallas Cowboys after the bye? Where do you see this team in relation to maybe where you saw this team last year at the same point? That's a, I've not viewed it like that, actually, comparing it to last year's team. I think last year, everyone was so lost in the hype with Carson Wentz. It felt like a dream for the <laughs> opening. Uh, after week two, to this point, it felt like a dream season. Everything's just going swimmingly along and they're blowing teams out and everything's riding. They've got the funky celebrations. This year's been a lot more adverse, but I think we've become so used to this team overcoming adversity that when they don't, and it's a little bit more lackadaisical, everyone's wondering, well, what's going on? It's the same guys. And this was a must win. Carolina was a must win and they dropped it in big disappointing fashion it was a horrible egg to lay so this was they had to get that off their back and maybe this was the underdog jolt they needed to spur that weight of maybe it just shed the weight of responsibility to themselves that they've got that expectation of Super Bowl champions now they can be those underdogs and fight for a division again instead of being expected to win I think the buy is definitely going to help because that should hopefully free up some injury weight and maybe bring back Jernigan, maybe bring back Sproles, just two guys who can shed the load for someone like Hello Tinata. But I think when you look forward to the Dallas Cowboys, 
that again is a must win. The Cowboys haven't been great this season. We all know that. But when we look at the prospects of the NFC East, it's so tight still. And it's like, if one of these teams just takes a subtle dive, you're going to end up in a very different situation. And the Redskins have put on a phenomenal display in terms of run defense. That's going to be a game where it's on Carson Wentz's shoulders. The Dallas game is going to be more important than maybe even the Jags game, depending how week eight or week nine goes. Okay, so looking at like football in, in a more grand scheme over there, what's the, what's the general per- perception of football over there on the whole and I'm assuming it has to be trending up in popularity since they started doing the games over there. Would I be mm. correct in that assessment? Absolutely. I mean, the perfect example of that is that you've had an 85,000 capacity crowd that's the biggest ever in an NFL international game, which is huge. I mean, Wembley's a big stadium to fill. And this is what a lot of people don't realize about Wembley, that traditionally, like the same way, if you look at the Super Bowl, right, that's used in like Minnesota Stadium where it's in Minnesota and it's still technically another team's home and it's just a neutral venue. Wembley is a venue used almost exclusively until Tottenham Hotspur came along and started doing weird. Anyway, we'll leave that for now. It's normally a spot (laughs) where it's traditionally cup finals. So it's this holy grail where only the biggest games are played, only the biggest concerts are played. So it's a big arena. It's a weight of responsibility there for fans to fill it. And it was crammed, you know, 85,000 in English standards is a lot. So that was good to see. But when they first started bringing the the game over here, what I noticed as a a diehard fan at that point was that we didn't really know how to react to anything. Because, do you follow soccer? I do follow soccer, yes. I'm a big uh, Borussia Dortmund fan. I I watch the uh, Bundesliga for the most part. See, I started saying soccer. I've got to stop myself now. It's getting bad. (laughs) The culture with soccer fans is that it's very singy. It's very chanty. No one's ever quiet. You're looking for a play. You're making a song about them. It's a drink, have fun, make make as many random songs as possible. With the NFL, it's almost a tactic, right? Where you're trying to put off the opposing offense, make as much noise as possible. There aren't songs. It's just floods of noise and the occasional chant. So when neutral fans get to the venue and they don't have a team and they don't know what's going on, it's just silence. And there are a few games that you can watch back from maybe like 2012, 2013. And you're like, this isn't a bit, this is a bit weird. And you can't see how there's going to be any momentum. But I think as it's caught on and more has been broadcast and the exposure's grown over here, that those closet fans, as I'll call them, where they don't want to walk around the street in a jersey because it's not the weird, it seems a bit abnormal at this point, that they're coming out a bit more and people are more confident in wearing those colours and they want to be known as being a Titans fan or a Broncos fan for some reason. Mm. But it's becoming a bit more normal. And that behaviour that we see on TV, we're adopting it over here. And I'm sure you heard on TV that the noise levels during that Jags game were ridiculous at times. So it's mm. definitely catching on. The exposure's helping. And I was honestly surprised to see so many, uh, you know, jerseys from years ago from different teams. Some strange players, honestly, that were still being watching. Like, really? Okay, that that's kind of dedication. I appreciate that. So that was cool. But, I mean, there was a point where I, when I first started working in retail, I was 16. And a kid came in and he had like a New York Giants jersey on. And I was like, oh, you're a big Giants fan. And he said, who are the Giants? And in England, right, he almost almost got thrown through a window. But NFL jerseys are worn as like fashion statements normally. Whereas like, I couldn't imagine going to America and seeing a Burnley shirt just being walked around. Like Sam Vokes on the back. It just wouldn't happen. But in England, it's a big culture thing. So that's gradually shifting to fans. And it's just a great thing to be a part of, to actually see this game picking up 
to see people want to go to these events where they take over big shopping streets with loads of signs. Nelson Aguilar did a signing at the weirdest shop possible, just that sold tracksuits and trainers. So that was cool. But it was great. Like, it's really picking up over here. So what, what advice would you have for any of us uh, Americans making the trip over to London to watch a game? Do you have any, like, key advice for them? Just do it. Just honestly, <laughs> just make it a holiday. It has to be done. I thought I was on holiday and I live in this, you know, the same country. Just go out, go balls to the wall, drink as much as you can. And everyone's so friendly. I, I'd never spoken to a fan that's given me a funny look. Actually, that's a lie. But <laughs> I've never spoken to a fan that's been mean or angry or upset or anything. There's never been any conflict. It's such a culture-driven thing now where if you see someone else in a jersey, like you walk around London and it's just people saying go birds to each other all day. And I know the Eagles fans travel well and maybe not every game will have that atmosphere, but there's so much to see and do in London anyway, where there's always something on, there's always an event, there's always a bar that's going to have loads of people in to, to socialise with. Just do it. Just come over, have a holiday, see it as a holiday, convince the wife, convince the girlfriend or a group of friends, come over to London, meet me, accuse me of drinking too much tea and crumpets and we can talk football. So logistically, if I were to just go and make sure that I take care of my, my lodging and I know where the stadium is and I have my ticket, I can just go and have fun, get drunk and then figure yeah. it out as it happens, basically, right? Just don't, just don't do, if it depends where it is, but don't do me and stay in Wembley because it's a night, I took two hours trying to get back to my hotel and I live in the same area. And the problem was that Wembley gets so busy and it's such a small area, it was a 20 minute walk, but I had no idea where I was going. My phone had died, I booked an Uber and as it called me, my phone cut out. So I had no idea what I was doing. But if, if you stay near central London, everything's like a tube driver, a tube ride away anyway. So you go on the London Underground and you can be from central London to the outskirts within about half an hour. So even if you stay, a lot of people who come in for these games will stay about half an hour outside of London because it's cheaper. Just get the train in for like five pounds, which is about seven dollars. So it's so it's so cheap. It's really good. And it, there's no pressure on having to go, right, we've got to be here by that time, this by this time. I'd never been to a professional sporting event as a fan to that magnitude. I was terrified like, if I didn't know what gate I'd go to, if my ticket was even legitimate, or if there were fences. <laughs> Or if there'd be sniffer dogs and I'd done some naughty things the night before. No, I'm joking. But like, but you never know. And it was the most seamless experience possible. And if someone as uncoordinated as myself can enjoy it, then I'm sure you guys can as well. That's amazing. Liam, thank you so much for coming here on Bleeding Green Nation and discussing your experience with the Eagles-Jaguars game at Wembley Stadium. Can you remind the listeners again where they can find you and all of your work? Of course, uh, at Liam Jenkins 21 and at Philadelphia SN on Twitter. Big thanks to Liam for stopping in to share his experience with us. And I highly encourage you to follow and support his work. And always remember, if you enjoyed this episode, please help the business by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. It's not about our egos. It's about iTunes' wacky algorithm. And it really helps us here at Bleeding Green Nation get noticed. So thank you in advance for that. And remember, we all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly.
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.